to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself The human spirit must prevail over technology. Albert Einstein. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Siri Panindra, and I am one of your hosts for today's show. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We're so thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit btsya.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music, whether that's iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Today, we have an amazing show planned for you all, all about technology, In segment two, I will be interviewing Michael C. Bland, the author of The Price of Safety, which examines the dangers of data mining and the dark side of surveillance. In segment three, I will be talking to you about emerging technologies in various industries. And right now, I am so excited to introduce you to Dia Hituwali, who will be talking all about technology, specifically AI and all its applications. Hi, Dia. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me, Siri. Of course. So today, <laughs> so technology is a rapidly advancing field that has such a wide range of applications that can be used to solve key societal issues. And particularly, artificial intelligence and machine learning have um, and voice recognition has unlimited possibilities. Some examples are early disease detection, as well as eliminating world hunger through optimized food distribution. Technology also has the potential to make people's everyday lives easier through automated driving, robotic process automation, and enhanced logistics and distribution. Yeah, sounds great. I'm very curious, Thea, do you have any interests in technology? Yeah, I am personally very fascinated by technology, especially artificial intelligence and machine learning, and incorporating that into app development. I have developed an app called Keep Me Safe, which is a woman's safety app 
that utilizes voice recognition and location tracking to prevent sexual assault. You can check it out on the App Store. Wow, that's a really great initiative that you started. I'm very curious, um, Dia, what fascinates you the most about technology, if you could narrow it down to one thing? Personally, the one thing that fascinates me the most is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is basically simulating human intelligence in machines. It is one of the most disruptive technologies in the computer science field today. Definitely. Can you explain the different types of artificial intelligence for our listeners today? Yeah, there are so many different types of artificial intelligence, but today I'll talk about the main four. The first one is reactive machines. Reactive machines are the simplest types of robots. They are not constantly learning. They only act on what has been embedded into its system. An example of a reactive machine is a chess game. It does not get better over time. It simply reacts based on its pre-coded strategies. The next is limited memory. It's a step up in terms of intelligence when compared to reactive machines. They have the ability to retain information from observing previous events. An example is self-driving cars. They have pre-programmed data, such as maps or lane markings. They can also evaluate their environment and improve their driving as necessary. So they become more and more like human drivers as time goes on and they keep learning. The third type is theory of mind. It is not yet developed yet, but researchers aim to make theory of mind models be able to imitate human mental models, which means they understand that humans have thoughts and feelings. A primitive example of a theory of mind machine is Sophia, the world's most famous robot, who is commonly featured on television. While she can't entirely determine human emotion, she can interact with humans and use the appropriate facial expression. The last type of AI model I'll be talking about today is self-awareness AI. For many in this field, it is their ultimate goal with AI. They have a human level of consciousness and are aware of themselves. It would be able to predict the feelings of others around it. For example, when someone yells humans can understand they are mad. Self-awareness robots will have the same type of understanding that humans have. Yeah, this was a really interesting overview, Dia, and I'm also very amazed by Sophia the robot and her natural human-like capabilities. They are so realistic that it sometimes just, it scares me. And on that note, would you say that these types of robots are commonly shown as being dangerous? Yeah, I agree with the Sophia one. She's such an interesting robot, and I always love seeing her interviews on TV. So as for the question about the types of robots that are commonly shown as being dangerous, right now they're commonly depicted in sci-fi movies, and they tend to have a lot of fun showing the drastic dangers that these types of machine holds. Personally, I do agree. While these machines like Sophia the Robot are super cool and have potential to improve society, I think that any technologies that are a bit too self-aware can pose a major threat. Or maybe it's just these movies that have influenced me a bit too much. <laughs> Definitely, I do feel like movies have a very you know, serious perspective of robots. 
Um, I have another question for you, Dia. Can you talk about your Keep Me Safe app? I'm very much interested in it, and it has a really meaningful mission. Can you talk about the artificial intelligence and machine learning element and how you got introduced to app development? Yeah, for sure. So Keep Me Safe actually um, is not an AI app. AI is just like an interest that I have, but Keep Me Safe basically utilizes voice recognition and location tracking to help women who are in danger. So this is essentially like a rundown of how it works. Let's say I was walking down the street and I feel slightly unsafe. What I would do is I would activate the app. So then the app would start listening and all I need to do is say the keyword help. It'll pick that up and what it will do is trigger a loud alarm to scare off whoever is bothering you in that moment as well as it'll also send your location details to 911. Oh, that's perfect. That, that must be so helpful, and it's a really meaningful mission. That's, that's definitely great, Dia. Um, and I'm very curious, actually, what inspired you, what motivated you to create such an app? Yeah, so the main thing that really inspired me was actually a news article I came across, and it was about this um, girl from my city who was my age, actually, and it was a story about how she got abducted and raped by three men. And this story, like, really, really bothered me, especially the fact of how she had to get help. She basically um, texted her friends through Snapchat, who from there looked at Snapchat maps to find her location, and then from there they notified the police. And by the time the police came, it was, like, two hours later, and it was already too late. So it really bothered me, and I, I really kept thinking that there has to be a faster way to get help in situations like these. You shouldn't have to go through like three different methods. A lot of the times people won't even have access to like press a lot of buttons. So it's important to get help in a fast way. So yeah, from there, um, my idea for Keep Me Safe was born. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about her. And I'm really, really amazed by your ambition and your steps for making a difference in the world. So I really admire that, Dia. Well, on that note, we are unfortunately out of time for this segment, but thank you so much for talking about the different types of AI and as well as your initiative, which is honestly really amazing. Listeners, feel free to continue listening for more as we interview Michael Bland in the next segment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for information. That's expressyourselfteenradio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're 
You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Siri Panindra, and today's show revolves all around technology. I'm so happy to introduce Michael Bland, a founding member of BookPod, an invitation-only online group of award-winning writers, filmmakers, journalists, and best-selling authors. One of Michael's short stories, Elizabeth, won honorable mention in the Writer's Digest 2015 Popular Fiction Awards Contest. Three short stories he edited have been nominated for the Pushcart Prize, and another was adapted into an award-winning film. Michael also had three superhero-themed poems published in the Daily Palette. His novel, The Price of Safety, is the first in a planned trilogy and has been recognized as a finalist in both the National Indie Excellence Awards and the Next Generation Indie Book Awards. We are so excited to have you on the show, Michael. Welcome to Express Yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm great. To, it's great to be here. Yeah, let's let's dive right in. So you sure. have a sci-fi title, The Price of Safety, and it's really interesting as it examines the dangers of data mining and surveillance, and it's a really eerie depiction of the not-too-far future that reveals human humanity's dependence on boat technology and family and really questions us, where do our allegiances truly lie? So I'm very curious, Michael, where did you first get the idea for The Price of Safety? So I actually had a number of different ideas, and I wasn't sure which one uh, I should kind of approach. So what I did was I created uh, like a little two-paragraph blurb, you know, like the back of a book, and I gave those ideas to my family members and to see which one they would like the most. And this actually, this wasn't the one that I was going to pick, but they loved this one, this idea the best. And what it is, is it's really, how do you protect a family in a future where technology is like unavoidable? And so that was for me, the, the catalyst of it and, and the, the, the focus because uh, Dre, that's, that's what drives him is his family, his 19 year old daughter, his 12 year old daughter and his wife. And he wants to protect them against everything that happens. And it's so hard to do in this kind of a future. Oh, that's so interesting. I, um, that's actually a really good idea of how to decide on what you want to write a novel about by writing the, the two paragraph blur that you'd see at the end. That's actually a really interesting approach that if I ever write a novel, I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. <laughs> and also, <laughs> um, and also I was wondering um, how did you begin building the world of in your story? That's a good question. So I, I did a lot of research, and because the world is thirty years in the future, and part of my gauge on that was where we were thirty years ago. I mean, thirty years ago, I think we were, everyone was on pagers. Uh, the disc man was big. There were cell phones, but there were like these huge bricks. The internet almost didn't exist. So see how far we've come in 30 years. Well, where are we going to be 30 years from now? And so I did a lot of research in terms of where we are, the latest advances in science, computing, nanotechnology, 
to development, all of those things. And I really wanted to make the future as um, as close to what you what I think it will end up being, or at least a version of it, but it's also that it's relatable. I mean, the main character, he listens to several some pickups in one scene and you know, that kind of thing. And so there's elements of it that while it's the future, you could see yourself there. Ah, uh, yes. I always enjoy reading books about the future and having the excitement to see if our predictions come true. And I'm wondering, um, can you talk about the characters and their significance in the story? Absolutely. Uh, Dre Quintero, the main character, he is an engineer. And part of my, um, you know, the reason why I had him as an engineer, one, to have certain abilities that might possibly, hopefully, give him a chance to maybe save his family uh, versus, like, I don't know, an accountant who can't really do other than, you know, spreadsheets. Um, but also, both of my grandparents were engineers. In fact, one uh, helped build battleships in New York City Harbor during World War II. The other worked at a chemical factory making bombs. He was a chemical engineer. So they were my inspiration for this for the main character. And with him, the big thing, as I mentioned, was him being a, uh, the family being so important to him. And he helped build the, some of the technology that is in this world. I mean, he did it what he thought was right. He did something that he cre- helped create this system to try to help protect everyone and how to try to make the world safer. And like some things, you know, best plans, you know, just because you plan it that way and you have the best intention doesn't mean that's going to actually work out. And it's used against him. So now he's having to fight what he helped create. Oh, that's such an interesting element of the story about um, him being an engineer and creating the technology that ultimately contributes to the destruction and the downfall. That's actually a very interesting choice. And I actually... Um, read a book very similar to that. It's like Fahrenheit 451 because the mm-hmm. main character is a firefighter and then they burn the books that actually yep. cause damage in the society. And yeah, it's really interesting how um, the family is really important. I think that gives a good motive for the main character to keep going. So I really like the rhetorical choices you've incorporated into your novel. So um, I was wondering who or what inspired your writing of them? The specific characters? Yeah. You mean, um, well, other than my grandparents, I didn't have a specific, um, you know, I didn't have a specific inspiration. But what I did do is I wanted, you know, story and character are so interwoven. One works off of the other and they have to be interlinked and to be interwoven. Otherwise, it doesn't totally work. And, and I'm sure you and, and your listeners have all you know, either read a book or seen a movie where there seems to be something kind of clunky about it. That'd be just like, for example, in this, if, if Price of Safety, if the main character was an engineer, that'd be a really odd kind of character for it. And it would be a different story. So this was really woven in, and it's not just him. Uh, uh, Raven, his 19-year-old daughter, she has a rebellious streak, and she uh, really isn't is passionate about helping people, protecting people, and you know doing what's best for for everybody. So it has an element of that protectiveness that Dre has, but it's different. And it's as a 19-year-old woman, smart, headstrong young woman would have that might be different than a 
don't bother, right? So there, there's that different dynamic. And then the younger daughter is extremely intelligent and is kind of a hacker. And so she's really independent. And so she has her own kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, independent streak, but it's in a different way. And so those dynamics and how those characters as a family, how would they possibly, these characters be, how would they interact and the friction and the way they help each other and the way they you know, sometimes clash, which like any family pretty much. So I, I really enjoyed that dynamic. I, I, I think the characters were, I was really pleased with how they, they ended up becoming their own people as I was writing them. Yeah, that's definitely really interesting to hear about the story from different perspectives, such as an engineer. And, you know, one of the underlying themes in the story in The Price of Safety is family. And you have a really strong emphasis on family relationships. So I'm very curious, what inspired you to approach the story plot this way? And what would you want a reader to take away from the plot? Uh, That's a a great question. I really wanted a story that would be relatable to everybody, to men, women. You know, sci-fi seems to tend to lean a little more towards the masculine than than, um, female, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical at all. I just, um, I've noticed, at least with my group of friends and family, that tends to kind of be the case. But I wanted to do a story that was different, because a lot of... The sci-fi stories seem to be the the lone person or, you know, the the person by themselves, and maybe they kind of have a love interest, but kind of not, but they almost all seem to be alone. And I'm like, so the families not exist in the future? That kind of seemed really just a a disconnect. So I wanted to have that, that family dynamic. Because the other thing is, with technology, it has the potential to kind of separate us more. You know, uh, being on a, you know, when I lived in Chicago, being on an L train and everyone is sitting there just looking at their phones or on their Kindle. And so it just seems to have less interactions with, with other human beings face-to-face. And as well as, of course, you could get into the discussion about, you know, bullying online and, and that kind of stuff. And, and be, people being more willing to say something that might be uh, mean or hostile online versus in person. And so that the technology has the potential to kind of have people more separate. But if instead there's this close family in this more technologically, um, you know, uh, driven world or, or this where there's technology, you can't avoid it. To have that closeness, I thought was a really interesting dynamic. And the more I thought about it, the more I really wanted to read a story like you. I didn't remember, I don't remember seeing a story set in the future that's primarily focused on the family. I guess maybe the only exception might be Lost in Space, that, that old series. Um, but that's it that I can think of. Oh, that was actually really interesting. It's so true about how a lot of dystopian novels, I never actually thought about it, but now I'm recalling, and most of the dystopian novels I've read have all been about, like, the perspective of a single character, and not, I haven't really seen, like, a family unit take on a dystopian society, so I think that's a really interesting choice, and how you said that it separates the family dynamic technology. I totally can see that even within my own family. Um, We constantly have like technology, like fights about different technologies and stuff like that. So I can totally see. And I really like how there's a real world application of um, like 
elements from your own life, putting that into a story, I feel like that makes it a lot more relatable for the reader. So, yes, sorry, go on. Oh, you can go if you want. No, I was just going to say, um, I just was going to add that with that, it, it seemed to give a real heart to the story. And that was what um, I, I really wanted to have is, is where you, there, there's heart to it and there's, you, know, you have these characters you care about while there's this crazy thriller sci-fi stuff. But at the heart of it is this family. Yeah, totally. I think that in novels or movies, if you don't have like, if you don't feel connected to the characters and they're not relatable in some aspect, it just doesn't make it as compelling to keep watching or keep reading. So, yeah, that's a really um, that's a really good aspect of the novel. So, the next thing I was wondering are what are some opportunities and challenges you faced when writing this story? So, the the challenges were, I think, the biggest. Well, twofold. The biggest was making it as realistic of a world. I mean, you could get, you know, when you talk technology, you could absolutely go crazy with it. And I didn't, I wanted to make it so it all seemed to be plausible. I, I my, whenever I read a novel and the author makes some sort of leap that he or she didn't create the, the setting for it, didn't justify it. It just seems to kind of come out of nowhere. And usually when it, when it does, it's very kind of convenient for the plot. I hate those stories. It just, it just seems like it, the, the author just could have worked a little harder to, to make it all work. And so I really wanted to make sure that this story worked all the way through in terms of the you know, technology, and it, it's one of those, you know, a, a, there are a lot of, there's a reason why a lot of stories are set, like, in the 80s, because that was really before cell phones were available. Because a lot of stories, if the person just grabbed their cell phone and called their significant other, the other person, whoever, the police, well, you have no more story. It's done. So that's why a lot of stories are kind of set, or seem to be more and more set, like, in the 80s, because otherwise a quick cell phone call fixes whatever the central issue of the problem is. Well, I'm instead going to the opposite extreme where there's tremendous amount of communication and without really almost looking at a finger, you can communicate with others. So how do you create a story in that realm? So yeah. for writing, yeah, right? So that that's a, that was a huge challenge. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, um, especially on the fact that an important element of any story is heart and thoughtfulness. And it's really about connecting to the reader or to the person watching the movie emotionally. And on that note, you've indicated that you were influenced by many books like 1994 by George Orwell, um, as well as Michael's State of Fear and Prey. So what was the inspiration or the takeaway from these books? What would you say? They, those were more in terms of the, the worlds themselves and how they uh, either, 1984, the, the oppression in the end, where you are in a society where it's not just you're fighting against one person, you're fighting against an entire system. How does one person really fight an entire system? That's almost impossible. So what do you do and then what's most important? And are you trying to absolutely change all of society? Are you just trying to protect yourself? Are you trying to uh, just protect others or get out of a particular scenario? So that was uh, a really interesting dynamic, and I wanted to explore that, but again, with, with heart. Um, and with uh, Michael Crichton, he's 
uh, a really good writer in terms of taking a element of technology, kind of taking it to the absolute extreme and see what could happen. And you know, you could instead of a dry novel or or story about DNA sequencing, he created Jurassic Park. You know, um, nanotechnology. You know, another story about nanotechnology. And, you know, different aspects of. Um, you know, of science, which was also really interesting, and put it in a way that it's not teaching, but it's just exposing the reader to something that there is, you know, however big of a stretch it is, there is an element of plausibility to it, which makes it more interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like having an element of plausibility, like making it something that could actually happen, um, I find books like that a lot more interesting because reading about something that like really will never happen is interesting, but I like it when it's a bit more relatable. So um, the next thing is I feel like a lot of people nowadays, including myself, have a pretty short attention span, especially like living in the 21st century with a lot of technology. So I was wondering, how do you approach writing for this sort of 21st century audience with a shorter attention span? Do you feel as if Like, do you feel like you made any rhetorical choices to make it more fast-moving or anything of that sort? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and knowing that I'm writing a book about technology and about how you have everything at your fingertips and and that kind of thing, I realize that as I'm writing it, I'm fighting for your attention. I'm fighting for your attention between the Internet, um, you know, your email, your Instagram, um, Netflix, HBO, all of these different things. And if I don't grab your attention and keep it, I'm going to lose you at some point because there's going to be something more interesting that's going to come along. So with my writing, for example, um, Anne Rice is a great writer, but one of her novels, she had like two pages that is just describing this garden. Now, it's a beautiful garden, but okay, I put the book down because, I mean, that's great. It's a garden. I, I get it. And a little bit of description is great, but it's it didn't keep my attention. So I have a lot of description and a lot of things that happen in the book, but I weave it in to try to make it, um, to keep that tension and to keep that interest throughout the whole book. Yeah, that's really great how you catered the book specifically to this generation's habits and behaviors. And I think this is one of my favorite questions, um, but can you give us a hint as to how the story might progress throughout the trilogy? <laughs> well, actually, I have the rough draft done, so I know what happens. I won't, I won't spoil it, but um, it, it's at the, at the end of the first book, Dre, he evolves as a character, of course, and he makes uh, a big choice. And he does something that I don't think he would have ever expected at the beginning of the book he would have done. Well, the sequel starts six weeks later, and it's kind of the fallout of what he did at the end of the first book. And how, just like with creating uh, the system they created, there are benefits of it that are good, and then there are also aspects of it that he completely didn't expect at all, and so now he's trying to continue to, um, you know, protect those important to him while at the same time um, trying to get a handle on everything that's going on, and 
um, what he started and the free, the free train kind of that he started and what, um, you know, he's holding on and, and trying to do what's best. And I, there are a lot of twists in there and things that I think will really surprise the reader, um, even more than the first book. Um, and I, I know where the, the trilogy is going. And I like that in each book, it's, it's different. It's not a rehash of each of the first book into the second, because that's not interesting at all. It's a continuation and a greater world, more people, more issues, more things that go on. And, and uh, I'm not trying to be vague, but I don't want to blow any, ruin any surprises. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. So I have another question. So as a writer, I've always been interested in like writing stories and stuff. So as an author, do you plan out the whole trilogy of your book or did you basically take it one back at a time? You like planned out one book and then after that was published, you moved on and planned the next book? That's a great question. So I I will uh, admit something. I didn't originally plan this book to be a trilogy. I planned it to just be a single book. Um, however, when I, after I was planning it out and it took me a year to plan it because as you read it, you'll see that I have this world that's woven, it's interconnected, what happens, it happens in, in stages to a degree, but also there has to be a certain logic and almost like the, you know, the, um, talking about like a version of a cell phone where, Hey, someone just picked up a cell phone, it ruins the story. There, there are ideas I originally had that before I even started writing that I realized, oh, that doesn't work because of this logic and this logic. So I had to rip that out and re refigure. But to go back to your question, my plan was not originally to do a trilogy. It was to do just a single book. But then as I was getting close to what I was planning for the, the, the climax and where the story goes, I was realized I kept, my mind kept steering towards this step that brought it into a larger world that required a next step. And my analogy is like the Matrix. Okay, you know, you have uh, Keanu Reeves. He fights the, the agents. He becomes the one. Okay, then what? I mean, so now he's this, you know, amazing, has this ability, and that's it? No, it's a step into what's the, the next step. And, you know, whether you like the trilogy, the sequels or not, but at least I was with, with that story. So that's what happened with this one, where I had the story, had the end, but it was, oh my God, what, what, what now? Because I've created a larger world. So I started drafting a general idea of book two and book three, but I didn't get into the details as much. Um, I had a general idea, but I will admit after doing the second book, there are some things that worked out so well that some people will think I'd already planned that before I wrote the first one because it just worked out so well, and I didn't. I'm not, I wasn't that clever, but it worked out really well. And so I have actually about 100 pages of notes for book three. I know in my head the main points that happened, but I don't have the details. I'm focusing on each particular book first. Oh, that's very interesting. And I really like how you connected your perspective to the Matrix and you know, from the reader's standpoint, I'm very happy that it is a trilogy instead of just a single book so that you could enjoy more. <laughs> <laughs> so my next Thank question you. for you, Michael, is along with being an author, you're also an editor. 
And how do you switch between the roles? And if you could narrow it down to one, which one do you personally enjoy more? Oh, great question. Well, you have to, or at least for me, I have to do both. In terms of my writing right now, I have to be able to writer and an editor. And Stephen King was once quoted as uh, saying, I know I'm going to butcher this, but in essence it was the book doesn't become reality until the editing stage. You, The rough draft, feel free to write anything and everything you want. Well, but then when you go into editing, that's when you actually make it a book. And you have to, uh, another uh, author, and I blank on the person's name, but you know what he said is kill your darlings, which means this scene might be amazing, it might be great, it might be the funniest scene you've ever read, and it's fantastic, but if it has nothing to do with the book, if it does not drive the story, the character, you have to cut it. You have to delete it. It's gone. Bye-bye. And as an editor, you have to be that harsh. It's difficult to do. It's not fun at times, let me tell you. So, um, as, so I'm first an editor for myself to make it as strong of, of a book as possible. As then an editor, I'm helping someone else with their baby, with, with their creation. And as a, a writer, I know when someone else says, yeah, this doesn't work, or you need to cut the scene, or that kind of thing, it hurts. One time you take it personally, and it's really not personal. It's really all about what's best for for the story. Um, so that's where I come in in terms of an editor. I've done it myself. I've done it for you know the short stories that uh, Pushcart Prize, and, and I have a, a good friend who is also a writer. He, his second book um, was just uh, bought and is going to be published in another year or so. I edited that for him. The you know the initial draft. Um, so. That is part of the process, but you know, in terms of which I like more, oh, I definitely like the writing more, especially the creation part. You got to create these characters and, and what they're going to do, and you know what what is what drives them, and what's really interesting or, or annoying about them, and what kind of situation you put them in, and how crazy can it be? And okay, is it too crazy? Is it believable? Is it not? How do you get them out of it? And um, now I'll admit my, my father's uh, read the rough draft of the, the sequel, and he's like, I have no idea how you're getting out of that at the end of, end of the second one. And I mean, I, I know, but I love that he has no idea. So that's mm-hmm. the, the fun part. Okay, yeah, I think it's really cool how you're both an editor and a author at the same time. And I feel like I think if I was an author, I'd prefer to have myself as an editor because, I don't know, I feel like if someone told me to delete a character or delete a scene, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. So, yeah, I think it's it's cool how you can, like, be both the author and an editor for a book. And um, I was wondering, what is more, like, lucrative financially? Is it, like, more lucrative to be an editor or an author? Well, it it comes down to how successful you are. <laughs> if you're successful as a writer, then absolutely that's that's better. Um, an editor may not make nearly as much potential income as um, a writer might, 
And of course, not just with books, but with you know potential streaming or selling the the rights to the story and the characters to either movie studio or television or that kind of stuff. Those those are aspects of it as well as a writer you can do. An editor can be less income, but potentially more frequent. And you don't have to be the one creating. You just have to be the one helping make whatever the uh, product is, the manuscript or whatever, as strong as possible. So it's different. And different people have different uh, abilities with it. Some are fantastic with it. Others, you know, kind of have to struggle with either the writing or the editing. And it's really, uh, I find that some people just kind of end up gravitating more towards one over the other. Um, but you can absolutely be both. Yeah, that's that's really good to know, and I'll definitely keep that in mind. I'm wondering okay. now, Michael, what do you think makes a good story, and what would you say is your interesting writing quirk? Um, what makes a, a story interesting is, one, something that's kind of a unique premise, at least in my mind. Um, I mean, the underlying, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, or, you know, the hero's quest, or those kinds of things, the, a lot of the stories are kind of already been told to a degree. You know, you're, you're digging on a quest to go get something, or you're trying to avoid something, or, you know, those, those kinds of things. So the underlying stories, pretty much, they've been told over and over. So an interesting premise, you know, you're in, you know, some world or you're in a scenario where uh, it's unique and it's slightly different. Those, those are, for me at least, I really enjoy that. Um, you know, then the other um, aspect of it is tension and conflict. If everyone gets along, it's not a very interesting story. I mean, it might be fun in, in real life and you want to be able to get along with people, but for a story, it's not interesting, is it? You always want to have... Tension, you always want to have conflict. But you want to do it in a way that it doesn't seem obvious. Someone walks in the room and merely throws a punch at someone. Oh, okay. That's, that's conflict, but why? You know, so it has to have, it has to make sense. It has to be interesting. So for me, that's what makes a good story. Yeah, the second part of the question was just um, what do you think makes a good story and what's an interesting quirk that you incorporate when creating your books? Ooh, interesting quirk. Hmm. Um, I do notice that uh, when I'm writing, there are certain things that I will do, certain habits where um, I'll have you know, all too many comments or I'll have certain things. And, and what I need to do is I, that's part of my editing is I'll go ahead and I'll allow those habits that I have when I write um, or longer sentences that, okay, when I go back and read it, no, I need to cut them out. I need to shorten them up. So that's where the editing comes in to where to try to avoid quirks in terms of something that's uh, unique. And one thing with this particular story, so I, I wrote another one called Lawyers Can't Fly, which is a humorous take on superheroes. And that was in third person. Price of safety is in first person. So I really try to avoid any kind of... Um, voice in terms of the narrator. There is, the narrator is the main character, and so the voice is Dre. And everything that you as a reader see is only through his eyes. 
So there, there was a restriction in that respect because there could be other things going on that happen he doesn't know about, and that could be to his detriment. And so you, uh, so myself as the writer has to try to convey it in a way that you know the reader's following along, but also it can't. It has to be restricted to just his point of view, which was another challenge. Um. So. Thank you so much, Michael. I absolutely loved our conversation today about your writing journey and the price of safety. But unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. Listeners, be sure to check out his website, mcbland.com, and Facebook at mclandwriter. You have been listening to Express Yourself. Show your love for more segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity and keep listening for more in segment three. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on to the show today. Really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on. This has been fun. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I am Dia Hitivali and I am so excited to have our host Siri Banidra talk about the emerging technologies in several industries. Hi Dia, thank you for the introduction. I am really so happy to share my thoughts during this segment. And first of all, this week's topic is all about technology, both for our radio show and coincidentally also the entrepreneurship course I teach at UC Berkeley. So to give you a little bit of background information, the course is called Silicon Valley Startup Success. And in a nutshell, I organize a lot of fireside chats, keynotes, panels with founders of companies. And just recently, we had the CEO of Flexport, a multi-billion dollar unicorn in the Silicon Valley, as well as the founder of Zipcar come along to our class. And Zipcar is the largest car sharing company in the world. So just this week, I facilitated a fireside chat all about technology with the chief product officer at a company called Mythical Games. And it's basically a company that uses the decentralized digital ledger technology of blockchain to build cool games. And the entire show was about the evolution of technology 
and gains from the past 40 years. So our focus for the session was about emerging technologies. And as the instructor, I built and presented the topic overview about some of the emerging technologies in various industries to our 8200 student entrepreneurs. So I thought that today on the Voice American Network, I will also share some of those insights. So let's begin by identifying the forces that drive technologies and their usage, adoption, and awareness. The first one, there are no prizes for guessing this one. I think it's quite obvious that COVID is shaping almost all decisions, whether, whether that is business or personal or otherwise. The next one is the digital transformation and the fact that everyone is going digital. You make payments digitally, we are talking on a digital platform, and we make a lot of purchases through digital aids and etc. Last but not least, the adoption of emerging technologies. To start off, some of the emerging technologies include cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, 5G, and more. And there are quite a few surveys and reports from global data that have shown that certain specific technologies are at the top of an executive's mind based on the industry. And in the case of aerospace, cloud computing and cybersecurity are the technologies driving their product development. If we focus on the clothing industry, AI and automation technologies are at the top. And of course, in finance, the Internet of Things and cloud computing play a huge role. So let's take a look at a couple of industries and what technologies drive their businesses. If we think about the first one, the first one which has unfortunately been struggling a lot because of COVID, the travel industry. What is the number one technology that executives in the travel industry are banking on to drive their business? If you guessed 5G, you are correct. And according to Global Data, which is the leading data analytics company for the large global industries, 5G is the technology where a lot of investments are happening. And now let's shift gears to the pharmaceutical industry. What technology do you think is driving this industry? And according to Global Data, AI has by far had the highest impact on the pharmaceutical industry, along with big data and social media closely following. And one last example, what would you say is a driving force behind the sports industry? According to global data, cloud computing is the number one force behind any sports industry investments. So that's a really quick snapshot of the emerging technologies, and I hope that gets you jumping out of your seat um, and to learn more about the different technologies. Thank you so much for that, Sigri. It was so interesting hearing about how all these different types of technologies are so prominent in all these industries. Technology is something that is really in every aspect of life in our modern day society. And it's really interesting hearing like how it affects specific fields. So one question I had is, um, what is, for the travel industry, you noticed, um, I noticed how you said that 5G is the most common technology. So I was just wondering, like, what exactly that is? 
Oh yeah, that's a great question. There are actually quite a few ways that 5G could transform travel and tourism. And one of the ways is robot monitoring in airports and beyond. One use of 5G tech um, is patrol robots, which are actually being used in many busy areas to monitor citizens and nowadays ensure that people are wearing face masks in public spaces. Another particular reason is 5G and the idea of a connected city. Consumers these days, they demand a lot of high level of connectivity wherever they go, and it more appeals to tech-savvy travelers if um, airports have a lot of 5G networks. And 5G networks also help holidaymakers explore destinations more easily, make different reservations, and book tickets online. So these are just a few examples of how 5G has transformed the travel industry. Oh, that's so interesting to hear about. Um, yeah, I can totally see now that you made it like um, like all these different examples, it's actually really clear that 5G is really everywhere. So the next question I had is, um, how is AI used in pharmacy, in the pharmacy industry? That's a really great question and also in a wide variety of ways. For instance, one that I can think of on the top of my head is when analyzing large data sets and AI tools are really used to synthesize the information and identify any intricate patterns found in data. And hence they're used to solve a lot of challenges associated with really complicated data or networks. So that's, that's an example when pharmaceutical industries face a lot of data and they have to synthesize that information. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So um, the next thing I was really wondering is how did you get involved in booking the guests? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you asked. Um, and I would say that it's definitely through cold calls and cold emails. Um, but over time, you kind of get a knack for being able to convince guests to come and, you know, convince them that there's a value proposition for the course. So definitely, uh, it's, it's hard to hear back from founders and CEOs of companies, but uh, cold calls and cold emails have done the trick. Oh, okay. That's great to hear. So uh, would you say it's been like challenging to get all these guests to come? Yeah, um, especially since COVID has arrived, it has definitely transformed the way that this course has been offered across, you know, past semesters. And it's definitely a challenge, but I've learned to adapt and, you know, get over the challenges that we face. Okay, um, so unfortunately, we're out of time for today's show. Thank you so much for listening um, to Super Smart Sundays here on Express Yourself. Thank you so much, Siri. Your, um, your segment was amazing to hear about, and I definitely learned a lot. Please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs at bethestarur.org. Please consider a donation. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. I'm Dia Hijivali. If you're interested in downloading Keep Me Safe, the women's safety app I have created that I mentioned in the first segment, you can find it on the iOS app store for free. 
under the name Keep Me Safe. You can also find it on Instagram at Keep Me Safe app. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer Josh and Many thanks to our guests from across the world and a huge thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Siri Panindra, and I request you to embrace technology and remain human. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself